Welcome to your weekly retail rundown show. I'm your host, Julia Raymond Hare. If you're one of our regulars, welcome back. And if you're new, this is a show where we cover hot topics from news and trends happening in the best industry, retail. You can reach us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail, on LinkedIn and more. You'll find links to our social pages on the bottom of our website at Rethink.Industries or, if it's easier to remember, RethinkRetail.org. If you're on Clubhouse, I'd love to connect with you on there. My handle is at Julia R. Hare. That's R like retail and hair like the rabbit. Our club is at Rethink Retail. Pending guest and host availability, we do host rundown after party rooms for you to interact directly with the show hosts and guests at 4 p.m. Eastern time on the day the show airs. Follow us on social so you can be alerted when you can be joining our scheduled clubhouse rooms. We will not be hosting a clubhouse room for this episode as we are observing a U.S. federal holiday. With that, on behalf of the Rethink Retail team, I'd like to wish you a happy Memorial Day. To everyone who has served, if you are listening, thank you. And may we never forget those who made the ultimate sacrifice while protecting our freedom. Hi, Greg Schwartz from Valtex Future Studio here. I want to give Rethink Retail's podcast listeners an invitation to an online event we're having on June 9th about the future of retail customer engagement post-pandemic. The event will give you fascinating insights into retail's evolution over the next five years and include expert discussion, technology demonstrations, and optional breakout sessions on different topics. The event is on June 9th. Register here on the link below or go to futurestudio.valtech.com. That's futurestudio.valtech.com. We'd love for you to join us. Hi, everyone. Today, we are joined by my guests, Sarah Hicks and Christine Russo. Sarah is Vice President of Retail at MailChimp, the all-in-one email marketing solution provider used by just about everyone under the sun, including our team at Rethink Retail. Christine is a retail consultant working in data analytics, inventory forecasting, wholesale sales, and brand growth. She also runs Connected Retail, which produces short-form video updates about the digitization of the retail industry. Sarah, Christine, thank you for joining. It's great to have two women leaders on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Julia. It absolutely is. So today we are going to talk a little bit about the small and medium businesses and retail. There's some good news on that front. SMBs are starting to bounce back after last year's lockdowns and tumultuous economic climate. What's more, nearly 90% of small business owners say they are confident their shops will survive compared to just 68% who said no this time last year. And that was according to a new survey by Goldman Sachs, which, side note, they restarted their crypto trading team in March, so that's kind of interesting. And the Business Times reported last week that PayPal is partnering with the Singapore Center for Social Enterprises, also known as RAISE, to help SMBs transition to digital operations, which, as we know, is more important than ever now. And many small businesses moved online last year. Data collected by payments and numerous other studies indicate that the digital shift has become permanent. Christine, I'll pass this to you first. As an advisor, how has commerce evolved over the past year? And do you agree that the digital shift is permanent and expected by consumers, even for the smaller businesses? Yes. And what I would say is, I think pre-pandemic for SMBs, digital equaled e-com. And I think that there was a big learning curve where the definition of digital became more apparent 
to all types of retailers. So digital is basically non-store. So that can mean social commerce, that can mean through third party, that can mean live selling, et cetera. So the choices were vast, perhaps maybe a little overwhelming. And that's why there was that, you know, sort of negative sentiment a year ago. But digitization, uh, it truly, it's like our new way of saying Omni. It sort of brings it more to roost on what that means exactly. But then further to that is digitization is all forms of non-physical retail. Yep. And you said digitization is a new way of saying omni-channel. We're just changing the buzzword a little bit, perhaps. Sarah, what would you say about the evolution over the past year and now that we're seeing everything open back up to a great extent and small businesses coming back? Sure. Well, I completely agree with Christine about the digital is beyond e-commerce. It's I like that digital is, is non-store. And there's no doubt that the pandemic has put e-commerce and outside the brick and mortar at the forefront of retail. Consumer spending, I think we've all seen the stats. It's up over, over I think, what, 45% in the U.S. Just, just last year. Online spending as a percentage of total retail also just surging. So we're just seeing these huge shifts in consumer behavior, but we both know it's still super early days for commerce and for e-commerce and for social commerce. So I truly believe there's just so much more opportunity ahead of us and the pandemic's only just showcasing that. And I think we're going to continue to see additional increases. Mm -hmm. And both of you said it's obviously beyond e-commerce. I did think it was interesting. You know, the Goldman Sachs study is good. It, It seems optimistic, but I will say when they surveyed people a year ago and 68% said, no, my business is not surviving. And now almost 90% are saying, yes, it is. I think that that probably doesn't include the sample who went out of business. So a little bit skewed. (laughs) I was going to agree with you there. It's a different subset. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about the different ways that smaller businesses can maybe be a little bit more agile and, and connect with consumers digitally without making insane investments. There's platforms that are becoming accessible to entrepreneurs. Twitter just announced they're rolling out an option to tip other users. And then, of course, Patreon and OnlyFans have hit an absolute all-time high in popularity during the pandemic, while some big box retailers have struggled in comparison. What do you think about these new forms of paid media or platforms to connect with consumers like Instagram live and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I can jump in. I think the the moves that you're talking about in the payment space just in these last few weeks and months to me are super exciting. Twitter's announcement like you talked about, Patreon, just this week Stripe announced a new product called Payment Links, which makes it possible to sell online without a website, no coding. Hmm. Um I just truly believe that we're seeing a surge towards this creator economy where anyone can be a publisher, anyone can be a marketer, anyone can launch a newsletter and even charge for it, make money for it. And I believe that you know we're on our path towards anyone can become a merchant. We'll probably talk about that. But I think these tools and these services and these payment solutions that are launching are perfect for small businesses who need to find new ways to attract customers. The support systems, whether it's fintech, aka payments, or content creation platforms, Patreon, or even Twitter and their associations, they are recognizing the creative community. And the creative community is relating to their tribes. And within their tribes, they're able to monetize 
their content. And by the way, a lot of that doesn't include Instagram. Instagram was sort of the leader, but now there are new forms that truly recognize the creator as the center and they, the creator, recognize their fans as their center. How that relates back to big retail is it just chips away at the overall dollars, right? Where you feel most comfortable is where you're going to put your dollars. I agree. I think that's very well said. And I think the Instagram has a really good point as well. Mm -hmm. It's just really becoming more and more personal and the feelings that you can create these online relationships with brands is pretty cool. And it's been around for a while now, but I think it's really ramping up. And Sarah, I wanted to ask you because, you know, one of the reasons we brought you on the show is because we got a wonderful pitch email and you guys just launched some really cool things to help out SMBs and their new commerce features. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit to those. Yeah, absolutely. So MailChimp just launched two new commerce offerings as part of our all-in-one marketing platform. And so this is stores and appointments. And um, if you think about stores, we allow merchants now to create an e-commerce storefront for their business. We give merchants the ability to easily add products, configure their shipping and taxes and payments, and really just start selling online. And kind of best of all, it's absolutely free to get started. So going back to what we were talking about, making it accessible and easy for small businesses to establish an e-commerce storefront and kind of the rise of making it more available for merchants to compete, right? Our second product that we've launched is appointments. So our appointments features allows service-based businesses to create bookings online so they can manage their schedule, grow their business, and then their, their customers can go to their website to schedule an appointment and it all happens in one place. And of course, it's all connected to our marketing platform. So I think the storefront's the first part. It's how do you establish and nurture your customers and your audience? And I think that's the power that we're bringing to commerce. It's commerce plus marketing. We're already seeing some great examples of merchants using these new offerings. I'll give you a couple of them. We have a woman, she's named Katie Authenthi, and she's a, a pianist, a yoga instructor, an artist. And she started selling macrame art during the pandemic. This is her first e-commerce storefront, and it's called Land of Luna. It just really gives her the ability to devote more time to making her art. We talked about that creative economy, and she just you know, was able to easily add her products, upload her photos, and have an e-commerce storefront using our new MailChimp stores. So pretty exciting to see the adoption. You know, we have another small business woman named Lindsay Smallage. She's a travel agent and she's now using our appointments feature to help her customers to schedule consultations with her. And again, it's these examples of small businesses using these features to talk to their customers and to build relationships with those customers and to grow their businesses online. Very cool. And based on MailChimp, my experience with MailChimp, I'm assuming it is amazingly easy. You came out with the drag and drop interface for building beautiful emails. And that's really what turned a lot of people on to MailChimp. But you guys have grown and expanded how you define yourself over the years. I mean, now you're almost considered an e-commerce platform, right? With the opening of stores? Yeah, absolutely. So you think of our origin, MailChimp is an all-in-one marketing platform. We're now really focused on being an all-in-one marketing and commerce platform. As you know, millions of folks use MailChimp all the time for their marketing technology to start their businesses, to grow their businesses. Over 40% of our existing 14 million customers identify as commerce businesses. 
So we're already you know, working, we've already been supporting commerce businesses. And so this is basically us addressing what they wanted. They wanted to be able to use MailChimp to not only market their business, but to start transacting online, having e-commerce storefronts and setting up appointments. Mm-hmm. And Christine, you have a lot of retail clients and then you were a retail executive as well. What do you think is maybe the biggest hurdle for smaller businesses when it comes to opening these online storefronts? Is it choosing where to be? You know, like, do you open an Etsy store, but you also have a MailChimp store? Do you need to be everywhere or choose one and do it well? Both. What we see happening is anyone who had adopted and adapted early ended up in an ecosystem. So let's say you were early on, saw how great MailChimp was and you're in there. And then you sort of had to stack out some of your other components. It's a breath of fresh air to be able to stay in one place and have everything together. So what we're seeing is the rise of the leaders and consolidation. So the landscape is still very much a lot of small, great solutions that stack together to create the right digitization for a retailer of any type. And also at the same time, the early tech solutions, MailChimp is one of them, is adding on and and growing their reach to sort of provide that customer service. Like you don't have to leave us to do these other things that have become absolutely apparent that you have to do them. It's good for the retailer when when a single source solution expands to other sources and does it well. And it's good for the solution because it creates more stickiness. So there are multiple forces at work here. Always the challenge with technology or solutions in general is What's around the corner? What's better? What's the evolution? So sometimes Mm -hmm. you have a lot of resistance because it's like, man, let me wait. I'll just see what's new coming. But I would say that those 90% of small business owners that survived and then are more optimistic did not sit around and wait for new things. There is constant adoption and awareness of new solutions and great solutions. This solution from MailChimp is a great ad to the marketplace. It definitely is. And and Sarah, you even mentioned another one that just recently got out with Stripe, which I thought was good that you brought up because I saw that their valuation was, and I just double checked online, but $95 billion. And it's it's incredible, the growth from $20 million in 2011 to $95 billion this year. So I'm, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more services and features rolling out from Stripe for small businesses. Right, absolutely. And I, I think we'll see... Stripe and many of the other payment kind of infrastructure providers around payments or taxes or shipping or logistics and returns, it's only going to get, in my mind, easier for small businesses who might not have developers or coding experience to, like I said, to compete and to do so with the tools that are becoming accessible to the many, right? There's a lot of exponential growth in the solution provider side. Yes, we can expect to see a lot from Stripe, but Squarespace just went public. So we can really pretty much expect to see new developments there. And and to your point, Sarah, PayPal just bought happy returns. So this whole ecosystem that has emerged because so much of it has emerged from the, I'm not in a store. All these touch points are because I bought it through a mouse or my phone. And now infrastructure and service, flawless levels of frictionless 
service, frictionless returns, frictionless payments, just ease, frictionless selling. I mean, so much is the new Wild Wild West. So you have a lot of funding and then also innovation coming. Wow. It's it's moving so fast. Like the examples you just gave, it just blows my mind how fast things are moving. But We've come to expect it. And by the way, speaking of low code, um, Sarah, you were talking about maybe if a small retailer doesn't have the staff to do coding and development, things like that. There's a really interesting podcast. Shout out to uh, Jeff. He's one of our top 100 influencers, Jeff Roster. And he has a really cool podcast that was all about what low code is. And it's on his podcast this week in innovation. So be sure to check that out if you're listening. And before we hop to, I want to talk about the big breaking news from last week. We have to include it. But before we do, do you guys have any thoughts on, you know, the silver... I don't know if I want to call it silver lining of the pandemic, but the democratization of retail and how things are going to come back. Do you have any thoughts on that? Our motto at MailChimp is to empower the underdog. We talked about this already, but we are seeing the rise of the creative economy and the rise of entrepreneurship. We've got these tools and platforms that we've been talking about that make it easier for merchants and businesses to thrive online, including what we've just launched with stores and appointments. I really do think we're at the place where it's going to be possible for anyone to be a merchant if they want. And that's, to me, is the the first step in democratizing commerce is to make commerce more accessible to the many and not, not just the few. And so we're seeing these tools and these services. I know democratization of commerce is a big phrase, but I think that's, we're starting to see the shift towards that. We're starting to see micro businesses, small hobbyist uh, sellers, Etsy sellers who are able to quit their day job and make a living online and by using digital tools and social tools and storefronts. So I'm optimistic. I think there's already a shift and a surge toward this and the pandemic helped that. And it will only only continue in my mind. I would agree. I think that under the guise of what the pandemic presented, it really is the technology that has evolved. I mean, the amount of evolution of solutions that are available for creators is huge and growing. So had there been no pandemic, we I think we would have been here regardless. Maybe what the pandemic brought was those creators to really have the time in-house in lockdown to build their own personal brands, build their own personal hobbies, create. So, you know, there were like dual factors happening, but... Yes, I would add that the democratization of retail on both sides, both from the seller and the buyer standpoint, is here to stay. Both good points. And Sarah, you said the word uh, underdog. And the news that is the elephant in the room is Amazon finally was able to buy MGM Studios after a long time of trying. And it was $8.45 billion, so almost $8.5 billion. It's You can't even imagine how much money that is. It's it's insane. And I was talking with the team, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's going to be time to cancel your Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus because they're about to level up their streaming and production game. But Gabriella on her team, she has some ties with the production industry, and she was noting, you know, Netflix is also a top dog when it comes to production and they buy some of the best indie films that come out of the big shows like Sundance and Hulu does that too. So it's possible that there'll be room for everyone, but it does feel more and more like Amazon just is always testing. There's always big news. I mean, they gobble up so many companies. What do you you guys think about it? I would agree. It is bananas, but I think it's kind of a simple, you know, Amazon's got 
a lot of money, right? And they like to make bets. And so while it's a lot of money, this eight plus billion dollars, it's a tiny amount for them to take a bet on something that might or might not pan out. And it's also a defensive move, as you you talked about, like to keep MGM out of the hands of Hulu or Apple, they can spend to keep it within their own umbrella and offer that to their prime members. It's an interesting time for commerce and an interesting time for content and media. It'd be fun to watch how it all plays out. I agree. I think that, you know, you're talking about major, major players in this space. And what the pandemic revealed was just how much content can possibly be consumed plus more. (laughs) I mean, you have an enormous TAM, total attainable market. You have people who have fractional shares of the existing market. And so what we're seeing right on the heels of the pandemic, which meant it was going on during the pandemic, these deals were going on during the pandemic, massive competition. I mean, these companies are not going to sit and watch another company take more and more share, massive competition and massive consolidation. So you have in a 10-day period, AT&T unloading Discovery, and then you have Amazon picking up MGM. And then, of course, they're all chasing Netflix, who makes no money. They're not profitable. And then Disney kind of on the side as that little unsuspecting streaming service that took some of Netflix's lunch. Mm. A lot of shifting, a lot of consolidation, and everyone's getting in pole position so that we can see where they end up post-pandemic. And they're all going after a combination of libraries and original content. And the one that has stayed out of it is Apple. Apple does not want to buy libraries. They only want to create their own content Mm. as their differentiation. (laughs) Yeah, very Apple of them. I totally forgot. You know, I remember seeing the news about Netflix not doing well in terms of profitability a few years ago, and, and they were making some changes to help crack down on people sharing their logins. But yeah, I didn't realize, Christine, that they were still not profitable. They're not profitable, but they're kind of like not profitable. Like Amazon wasn't profitable. They're still seen as like a major leading factor in the streaming world. Yeah, I would add that they're not profitable by choice. I think they're investing just so much in content and in people and in infrastructure because they have to, right? They have to kind of try to keep up with Amazon and Hulu and Disney and the others. So it's definitely a race. You're absolutely right. It's not profitable by investment, which it's funny. Some companies are given that card. Amazon was for a long time and Netflix is as well. And some companies just are not. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of movers and shakers, as you said, Christine, in this space. And uh, yeah, it's you mentioned AT&T's move as well recently. So it's going to be interesting. The streaming service, I think the the point that was best is just about, as you said, the pandemic has showed how much media can be consumed. And just personal story, the other week I was at lunch with some friends and we were comparing our screen time because I just asked, I was like, guys, I feel really pretty bad about my screen time, my daily screen time on you know your iPhone. And we were all comparing and I was not the worst. I was second to worst because the number one spot went to I won't name the person, but it was 11 hours a day average phone screen time. It's crazy because I'm sure the numbers are just going to keep increasing over the years. You know, it's funny. I was having an anecdotal conversation with a friend of mine. And my point was, remember when screen time 
was like a thing. Remember when Thrive came out and was like, don't look at your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like all of that. That is absolutely out the window. It's such a lens to the world. It's like, I, I almost would argue that if you're not looking at your screen, AKA streaming news, reading the news, doing whatever, plus entertainment, then you're isolating yourself. So will that narrative shift? I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah, I think these are all really good points. I think our mobile devices have become productivity applications. It's how we interact with, with people. It's how we consume content and how we manage our businesses. I do think we'll start to see a, a shift towards you know uh, people wanting more in real life connections you know, as we start to open things up after the pandemic. But I agree. I think that the time of screen time and kind of the worries around that are past us. And we're really using these devices to manage our lives and manage our businesses. Mm -hmm. And bringing it back to retail. I mean, hey, it's so easy to use your phone while you're in store as, you know, your second little device to do a number of things, look up product comparisons, how much is it on Amazon versus in store, do the mobile checkout. So it's really just, I mean, truly an extension of ourselves. And I think you both are right that the conversation is kind of faded into the distance. People aren't as worried anymore about screen time. It just is accepted that that's that's how it is. So it was great speaking with you both uh, leaders in the space, Christine Russo and Sarah Hicks. I appreciated having you on and I hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Sarah. It was really great to chat with you. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.